Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the words of that song, Here I am, Lord. The words of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. That is the plea and the cry of our hearts this morning, saying, Here am I. We pray that you'd bless us this morning with your presence as we opened your word. May the Holy Spirit that inspires be also the Spirit that instructs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today we are continuing in our series. Today is part seven in our eight-part series of messages from the book of Daniel. This is the seventh story recorded in Daniel, and I invite you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9 as Daniel prays for his people. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of the reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in desolations of Jerusalem. The children of Israel, the Jews, were in Babylon, taken away into captivity, and Jeremiah had predicted that this time period would be 70 years. Here is the prediction that Jeremiah gave in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. This is what the Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So the Babylonian captivity was to be 70 years. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 20 and 21, he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his successors until the kingdom of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath's rest all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. The temple was in ruins. Jeremiah's church was, for all practical purposes, a mess. It was chaotic, and Jeremiah had predicted that this time period would last 70 years, and so Daniel, reading the prophet Jeremiah, knew that this time period was soon to come to a close, and so he begins to pray for his church. Have you ever prayed for God's church? Amen. Locally and globally, we need prayers. And so here, Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 has his seventh and last prayer, and it's the longest prayer in the book of Daniel. He's praying for his people, his church, that is in crisis. This is not the first nor the last time that God's church will be in crisis. And this is a statement from the book Faith I Live By, page 304, has God no living church on earth? He has a church, but it is the church militant, not the church triumphant. What does that mean? She unpacks that. We are sorry that there are defective members. While the Lord brings into the church those who are truly converted, Satan at the same time brings persons who are not converted into its fellowship. 
While Christ is sowing the good seed, Satan is sowing the tares. There are two opposing influences continually exerted on the members of the church. One influence is working for the purification of the church, and the other for the corrupting of the people of God. So we have a mixed bag here. The wheat and the weeds will grow together, and many people are startled when they're baptized into the fellowship and they realize the church is human. We've got problems. We've got issues. The pastor has faults. The leadership, whoever it is, the member sitting next to you, and and so these are some of the the challenges that we face as we are members of God's church. And then Jesus points out that there will be wolves dressed in sheep's clothing that will be in the flock. Here's Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 16. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So not only are the membership defective and having challenges, we have teachers that are actually wolves in sheep's clothing. And Jesus gave the parable of the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the tares, and the natural reaction is, look, I'm going to be a weed puller. I'm going to go in there and start determining who's a wheat and who's a tear, and Jesus talks about this inclination in Matthew chapter 13, verse 29. So the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he said, if you pull the weeds now, you might uproot the what? The wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. God knows the heart. He knows the motives. And... If we're not careful and we go about this process of trying to pull up the weeds, you might actually pull up someone that's a weed. You know, there's going to be surprises in heaven. You get there and you're going to be like, the people that you thought were, quote, weeds may be there. And some of the people that you thought were wheat may not be. So God has given this task not to us, praise his name, the pastor is not a weed puller. You know, sometimes saints come to me and say, Pastor, can you talk to this person? Well, I'm not, I didn't see that. Go to them. You know, Matthew 18, praise the Lord. And so these are the challenges that we face in God's people is that we're in this tension between the church militant and the church triumphant. We're in this tension between what we are now and what we will be, and how do we process this? How do we respond? How do we react to a church that is in crisis? How do we respond to a church that is, quote, messing up? Whether you're talking about locally or globally. And I want to reflect on Daniel chapter 9 because we have four constructive ways that I can respond to a church in crisis. And all these lessons are found in Daniel chapter 9. In your bulletin is a study guide, an outline of today's presentation. And if you'd like, you can follow along. Four constructive ways that I can respond to a church in crisis from the book of Daniel. And This is a quotation to God, the dearest object on earth is his church. 
with all of the flat spots, with all of the foibles, with all of the defects, this is still the bride of Christ. Praise God. It's the apple of his eye. And it's the, it's the highestly held treasured entity on earth, his church. So number one, four ways. Number one of four constructive ways I can respond to a church in crisis from Daniel chapter 9. Daniel responded by doing what? By praying for his church. Daniel chapter 9 verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God. And this was not a casual, flippant prayer. The Bible indicates that he prayed in sackcloth and ashes. When's the last time that you prayed like that for God's church? When's the last time you complained about God's church? Ooh, ouch. I mean, but, but here Daniel responds by praying for God's church, and there are many problems. I would say the majority of our concerns, the majority of our problems, we have absolutely no influence in determining the outcome. Absolutely zero input. The weather, zero influence. I'm sorry. We can go on and on down through the list, and for most of us, I would say all of us, our circle of concern is greater than our circle of influence. In other words, we are concerned about things that we have zero input into, zero influence over, and the tendency, the natural human reaction, is to complain about our circle of concern and do nothing about our circle of influence. Isn't that right? But the Bible is calling us to pray about our circle of concern. What do we typically do? We talk to somebody else that has absolutely zero input, just like us, in that issue. How does that make you feel after you've talked about it? You know, debilitated, depressed. But talk to God, who can actually make a difference. Pray about our circle of concern that's outside of our circle of influence and act within our circle of influence. Here it is from Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell, what, tell God what you need and thank Him for what He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which transcends anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Do you have things that you're concerned about? that you're worried about, that you have absolutely zero influence in changing. Amen. I'm holding up my hand. Talk to God about it. He specializes in the impossible. I think of George Mueller in the 1800s, walking the streets of England, saw homeless orphans, hundreds, thousands of them. He was penniless, had zero resources, did not have the means to make a difference, so he took this need to God in prayer. He said, Lord, I want to minister to the orphans of England. Please help me. And he did what he could. He acted within a circle of influence and started a orphanage. Before he died, he had housed over 15,000 orphans. He began a school, and before he died, he educated 150 
thousand students because he believed in a big God. Amen? That answers prayer. Every single dime that came in came in through donations that were not solicited but prayed for. George Mueller, by your fervent prayers, you can move the arm that moves the world. So here Daniel is. The church is in crisis. He can't restore Jerusalem, and so he prays in Daniel chapter 9, the most beautiful prayer, and in Steps of Christ, page 100, we're told, take to him everything that perplexes the mind. Nothing is too great for him to bear, for he holds up worlds. He rules over all the affairs of the universe. There is no perplexity too difficult for him to unravel. There are some things that are so twisted, so degenerated, so impossible that you think there is no way out of this. You can take to him big things or small things. Last Saturday night, I was changing the oil. That was the only time I could carve out last week. And we have this car that probably should be taken off to the junkyard and 200,000 miles, I mean, it's duct taped together. I mean, embarrassing, embarrassing, you know. So I go to change the oil or try to change it, and I try to pull the, the lever that pops the trunk, and it won't pop. So I'm spending like 45 minutes on YouTube trying to figure out how to get this thing up, pulling it so many times, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, I, I don't know what to do, and I'm about to just give up, and somebody told me, why don't you pray about it? And I'm like, pray? I mean, God's running the universe. I mean, does he care about, like, my trunk? You know, my hood not opening? So I said, all right, Lord, Lord, uh, please help me pop this trunk, because I need to get up early to, to lead a prayer meeting on Sunday morning, and uh, if, please help me pop it. So I went over after I prayed and pulled it, and it went, I was like, thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. I mean, and I'm not saying it happens every time like that, but I'd reached the limits of my, of my training. <laughs> so I needed help. I needed help. So you can take to him big things or small things, and this is an area that I believe that God's people are called to, to pray for his church. Amen? Not complain about it. Pray about it. This is God's church, the apple of his eye. And when we pray, we can move the arm that moves the world. Number two, Daniel's attitude was not they, it was we. Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. Notice how Daniel uses the first person plural. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Daniel was a righteous man. He was a prophet. He could have prayed they. Have you ever prayed the they prayers before? They. They have sinned. They have done wickedly. They need help. But here Daniel uses the first person plural, and he says we have sinned. He includes himself with the people of God. This is from a scholar, Gusick. He says, there is a confession of we 
not they. This is a confession of we, not they. In this sense, they prayers never reach God. Genuine we prayer see self correctly and see our fellow saints with compassion. Inclusive language. When I went to elementary school in Washington, D.C., inner city kids and myself, there was a certain phrase that were fighting words. Your mama. Your mama this or your mama that. Fights would break out because you talked about my mama. And with our young minds, we understood that even though our parents drove us crazy and had faults and foibles and all types of things, when an outsider insulted our mama, it was not they, it was we. You following me? And the analogy that I'm trying to draw at is sometimes we talk about the church like we've disowned it. You following me? We talk about it as they rather than we. I mean, in actuality, we're talking about family. This is not to say that we don't acknowledge faults and weaknesses and foibles and flat spots. But there's a difference between talking they as an outsider and disowning family and between being on the inside and saying we have a problem versus you have a problem. Inclusive language. Saints who withdraw so as to better criticize their neighbors end up creating an idolatrous religion in their own image. But Daniel escapes this temptation and includes himself with the people of Israel. He does not triumph above the filth of the people of Israel. As intercessor for Israel before God, Daniel embodies their sins himself. We, not they. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. He's standing as an outsider. Here Daniel stands as an insider, embodies himself with the sins of his people. Number four, or number three, Daniel responded by reaffirming the necessity of heeding God's prophets. Uh, you look at the prayer in Daniel chapter 9, verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name. Do you know that prophets are never fully accepted by their contemporary generation? Jeremiah, the prophet that Daniel was reading, was never accepted by his own community of faith. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 16, but they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets. I looked up synonyms for scoffed, and here are some synonyms, other ways of putting 
scoffed or to scoff, to mock, to deride, to ridicule, to sneer at, to jeer at, to jibe at, taunt, make fun of, poke fun at, laugh at, laugh to scorn, dismiss, make light of, and belittle. This is what they did to Jeremiah. Now, today, thousands of years later, Jeremiah is held with reverence. But this was not so of his contemporary community of faith. And it's interesting because in some circles and some pockets of our own community of faith, there is sometimes a tendency to scoff at our own contemporary prophet. The Israel of today and the Israel of yesterday, there are more similar similarities than differences. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20 says, Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. The spirit of prophecy, the gift of prophecy, is given to be a blessing. And I encourage every newly baptized member to read the Conflict of the Aegis series. Um, it's in chiastic structure. There's a, a group, uh, a company that's actually reformatting this. It's, it's very beautiful. It's conflict beautiful. And, and it's in a chiastic structure. It begins with God is love, the first words of patriarchs and prophets, and then the last words of great controversy ends with God is love. And the apex of this chiastic structure is the middle, the desire of ages. Beautiful. And I believe that if our people would read these books, every member would be discipled and prepared to meet Jesus when he comes a second time. It's a gift. It's a blessing. And I, as clergy, apologize for the role that sometimes clergy has uh, has played in using the spirit of prophecy in an abusive way. And there has been a backlash to that, and we are experiencing that today, especially among the boomer generation. But you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, and you never judge something by its abuse. This is a wonderful gift that always leads us back to Scripture. First selected messages... Page 48, the very last deception of Christ will be to make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. How do you think the church came into crisis in the first place? It was because we did not heed the prophets. And we need to pray that God's people will be led back to the spirit of prophecy. Number four, Daniel responded with personal self-denial, fasting. Uh, this is from Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. When's the last time you fasted for God's church? Personal self-denial, prayer and fasting. And this is an important point I need to make. It is important to remember that fasting gains no points with God, Fasting is not to impress God or to earn his acceptance. Of course, there are some people who cannot and should not fast because of medical reasons. 
So please consult your doctor if you have medical challenges. Caveat there. However, for many Christians, it would be prudent to consider engaging in the practice of fasting as saints have done through the Old Testament and in the early church. This doesn't mean that those who eat the least have the most faith. Such a view is not only untrue, it's extremist. It is simply that regular self-denial has benefits, and one of these is seen in a personal increase of faith. It's interesting because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used the phrase, and when you pray. He didn't say if you pray. He said, when you pray. Then two verses after that, he says, moreover, when you fast. Notice Jesus does not say if you fast, but when you fast. In other words, fasting is just as much a part of the spiritual life as praying is a part of the spiritual life. Now, this has been a journey for me. I'm just speaking openly as a pastor. I uh, became a pastor in 2003. Don't let this baby face fool you here. I'm not 20. 2003. And for whatever reason, I never considered fasting as a part of my spiritual life. Now, I fasted, but because I I was sick, I didn't want to eat, not for spiritual reasons. And it wasn't until six months ago, after doing a study on fasting and deciding to incorporate into my personal life, that I started fasting on a regular basis. And I'm just talking about me. Uh, This is not prescriptive, this is descriptive, okay, about my own journey. There's something about fasting that helps you to realize your own mortality. You miss three meals, and all I can think about is like rice and kimchi. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just like, I mean, you realize like how mortal you are. I, I, we, we get into this frame of mind where you think that you're invincible. And then suddenly you miss three meals and you're like, oh God, I am mortal. Be merciful to me, a sinner. There is something about the link between our bodies and our minds and our spiritual nature. They are linked together. We are a holistic person. And there's something about fasting, and by the way, there are tremendous benefits, health benefits to fasting that medical science is now discovering. And in America, our issue is not that we don't have enough food. Ah, we have too much food. And it's good to give your body a break once in a while. And I came to the place where in my weekly intermittent fast, I would actually look forward to it because it'd give my body a break. And I could focus on prayer and God and and the time that I would normally be eating, I would spend time in prayer. And I went to my wife and I said, oh, I've been missing out. I should have been doing this a long time ago. Not because I have to. I'm not doing this to get points with God. And sometimes I miss and I don't feel guilty, okay? But because of the benefits. 
There are benefits to fasting. Jesus fasted. The prophets fasted. It was an integral part of their spiritual life. And what I found is that it increases your spiritual awareness. That's what it does. And we're actually recommended that before making major decisions, life-altering decisions, like getting married, amen, you should pray and fast. Talk about a decision that's going to alter the trajectory of your life. All right? Prayer and fasting. Now, there are different types of fasting. Um, This is quotation from the Review and Herald. Now and onward till the close of time, the people of God should be more earnest, more wide awake. They should set aside days for fasting and prayer. Entire abstinence from food may not be required, but they should eat sparingly of the most simple food. So there are different types. You know, there's the water fast where you just drink water. There's the juice fast. There's the fruit and vegetables only fast. And then this is the simple diet fast. Everyone can do that. So this detail is a part, you know, is between you and God as to exactly how you do it. But some sort of simplification of the foods that we're eating so that your mind is not so clouded so that you can talk to God in an intelligible way and have more self-awareness. When the church was in crisis in the book of Acts, when Peter was imprisoned, the entire church engaged in fasting and prayer. Acts of the Apostles, page 144. And you know what happened. An angel went to that prison and freed Peter. I think of our own experience in relationship to our school, Anchorage Junior Academy. Last year, as we were ending, uh, we were notified that all of our teachers would not be returning. The school was in crisis. People were speaking doom and gloom that this year we would not have a school at all. It was, I think, February or March, and we had no answers, none. No teachers that we knew of that even wanted to come to Alaska, you know? And so these were challenging times, and so there were a group of us that decided that every Thursday we would dedicate our time to prayer and fasting. We gathered together at the school Thursday evening, in prayer, asking God to help us. The school was in crisis, and we needed help. Talk about feeling helpless. We were there praying and saying, Lord, this is your school. These are your children. Help us. Bring the right people. Long story short, the Lord brought three of the best teachers that we could have ever asked for. One of them was born in Alaska. And they came out of the blue, and this year, praise God, we have a school. Amen? Amen. Prayer and fasting, there's something about it. And when you meet a crisis in your personal life, in the local church or in the global church, it's a call to pray. It's a call to self-denial. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is about to be poured out. This is from Signs of the Times. They therefore remained in Jerusalem 
This is talking about the early church after they received the promise of the Holy Spirit. They emptied from their hearts all bitterness, all estrangement, all differences, for this would have prevented their prayers from being as one. And when they were emptied of self, Christ filled the vacancy. Amen. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Do you want that for God's church, for yourself, for all bitterness, all estrangement, all differences to be emptied and for the Holy Spirit to fall upon this church? I do. How many of you want to say, Lord, I want to receive the Holy Spirit today? Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we face a church in crisis, we pray that you would help us to respond like Daniel, to pray, to seek your face, to have the attitude of we, not they, to believe your prophets and to participate with Jesus Christ in personal self-denial. We praise you that you love us despite our defects and faults. We thank you that you love your church as faulty as it may be. We thank you that we are still the bride of Christ and that the work that you've started in your church you will be faithful to complete. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot org.